Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Krista Carroll. Krista is CEO and co-founder of Latitude, an award-winning strategic design agency based in Minneapolis that works with clients like Adidas, FootJoy, and Ring Doorbell. Latitude is unique in that it's also a social enterprise, having donated half of its profits, $8 million, since its launch in 2009. And today, we are joined by Krista herself, so thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Drew. It's great to be here. Yes, I'm, ha- I'm happy to have you. So... How did Latitude get started? Where did this where this idea come from? What's its origin? Oh, it's kind of a crazy origin story, and I have a really unconventional um, debut into the agency world. I was actually a, a school teacher, an elementary school teacher, and um, my husband and I moved out to New York right after our daughter was born because he was selling commercial print to agencies um, in New York, really amazing ones. And five years into that journey, we were just feeling um, sort of empty, like... Uh, chasing success. He was making a really great living. Um, but at the same time, we were like, what are, what is, how are our values being reflected in our day to day? And kind of felt convicted. We were 31 years old and we were like, man, we've really used our talents and our um, time and all of our opportunity to benefit ourselves. And how can we shift that? And so um, decided to take a trip to Haiti and um, with one of our nonprofit partners, Healing Haiti, and just said, like, hey, can we join you? Uh, I think we're, we're supposed to kind of shift the lens in which we see the world. And um, that quick five-day trip into uh, City Soleil and Port-au-Prince, um, met kids that weren't, you know, were living in poverty, didn't have access to basic human needs, like clean water, you know, toileting facilities, education, clothes. Was this before Um, or after that big earthquake there? It was just a few months before, a month and a half. Our second trip there was, we were there the day before. Whoa. Um, Yeah. And so it was before, but it's interesting. um, So like when we got back after our second trip and then that happened, it was like, how could it possibly have gotten any worse? Like it's, it was, it's city Soleil is a poor slum in the Western hemisphere and it's just you know, you can, you can see it, you can hear about it, but like to be in it and to smell the smells and like meet the kids and see the families that are living in this reality is, is really, um, it just guts you. Right. And for us, it was, um, our, we, when we were standing there with these children, we just heard like, you know, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, what did you do for me? Like as Christians, we were like, Oh, what have we done? Like not enough. Um, so after coming back to New York after our trip, we just really knew that we could do business differently. And so 21 days later, um, Jeremy quit his job and we started Latitude at our kitchen table with the model that we would work as hard for these kiddos as we would for our own. And that's where the 50% model came in. And then we just we just had to convince our clients that we would continue doing really great work for them. Um, just under a different business model. So there's a ton more to the story <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, a lot of, um, you know, ways, things that we needed to go through in our own minds to, to make the leap. Um, but really it was this trip to Haiti and just meeting people that 
could have, like, that, that could be our kid. He just isn't because he wasn't born in the latitude and longitude that we were born in, right? Like, that could be our situation. Mm. We, just won, we just won the lottery of where we were born. And mm. how do we use that to propel other people to reach their full potential and to remove the obstacles that are standing in their way? Um, and that's what we've been on a mission to do every day since November 30th, 2009. Wow. Well, what's, what's wild is I was there in Haiti about a week after the earthquake. So oh, my gosh. We were there. I mean, that's wow. kind of wild. Like, we were there very similar similar yeah. times. How did you end up there a week later? Uh, so I was a pastor in my former mm -hmm. life, and wow. we had already been planning a trip to go out there um, to support some organizations we were working with and some missionaries that were there. And then that happened, and I just scrambled and organized a trip as fast uh -huh. as I could. and. Uh, went there again to check on the people we already knew, but then just honestly lend a hand, like yeah. be in the line, handing food out. Yep. And, uh, man, it, like you said, it was, it was already heartbreaking. And then it was like hopeless. It was a hopeless feel. Yeah. And I know it wasn't hopeless and the country's still there today, but it was yeah. just such devastation. Um, yeah. I mean, I, we came across one family. I know we all have horror stories, but I just saw mom. She, like I, I don't know if she was asleep or what, but like the baby looked like it was dead basically and hanging out of her arms. And I was able to convince her to like, please hand me oh. the baby and let me take it to a hospital. And yeah, it hadn't eaten in a long time and was, you know, luckily it got the attention. It got IVs and it got whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we were just walking to situations like every corner. I'm like, what is happening here? You know? Yeah. So it makes sense that you'd walk away feeling imprinted upon like that yeah. to see the world differently to operate in differently yeah it just changes your perspective like completely yeah. um to to see that that dire need in just the everyday of people's lives hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people's lives like you're just like hey i think i think a small shift could make a difference right mm -hmm. and um we just it, you just come back realizing how much we have here yeah. uh, and i don't just mean like things i mean like um, the ability to use our God-given gifts, you know, our ability to work and do it and have, you know, allow it to benefit our families. And um, work is something that's hard to come by there. And so, you know, just everyone has potential. It's just certain people are born into these situations where they don't have a lot of ability to use it because of the systems and the, sure. you know, circumstances. So, so were you already in the agency world or were you still a teacher at that point? Yeah, so um, when we moved to New York, I ended up staying home with our daughter. Our daughter was six weeks old when we moved to New York, our firstborn, and then we had our son out there. And so um, Jeremy was 100% commissioned selling commercial print to these agencies and I don't like sitting still. And so I got to know the business um, and you know started bringing proofs for clients to review or going and getting debriefed on a project and bringing it back. So I kind of started just working with him in that capacity, never thinking I would need to know um, that world. Um, but then when we started the business, um, Jeremy said, I trust you more than I trust myself. I know you're always going to do the right thing. Like you need to own this 100%. Um, he was raised by um, a single mom and has always had um, just women champion him throughout his life. And, and it, in the reverse, he's a huge champion of women. And, and so he just said, I know that you're going to do the right thing. I know that you can figure this out. He's like, I can sell to it. Like I can, I can sell our capabilities. And, and, um, I know that 
you can help architect a business that will scale and that will, um, you know, provide greatness for our clients and you'll always do the right thing on the flip side for staying true to our mission. So that's how we started and and it really grew. So at first it was like me just figuring out how do you incorporate a business? How do you, you know, file sales tax? How do you send an invoice? Like um, silly things. I mean, I remember literally Googling how to read a PNL and a balance sheet. Like, I mean, just silly. <laughs> I'm being very transparent here about it. I love it. I was in the deep end of the pool, but, um, you know, just one foot in front of the other every day. And then really we started growing really quickly. And so a staffing, the beauty of like not having an agency background is that I knew it was really, really important to hire the best people who knew what they were doing and like who are experts in the field. And that's what we've done since day one is just hire the smartest people who are driven by our core values, who are problem solvers, like to their core and we'll figure it out. Like we'll look at anything and figure it out. And that's what we've done. Um, our first client was Foot Locker, which was a huge blessing because, um, I mean, we we did like wedding invitations and such before that. But our first like real client um, that had the ability to scale was Foot Locker. And we showed up and I think we did this like silly, silly like in-store window thing. Um, they gave us a small project. Well, we totally killed it and did a great job on it and kept showing up asking for more and really quickly became like their most trusted partner. And so they started asking the shoe brands to work with us when they were coming to life in their stores. And so then got introduced to Adidas, Puma, Nike, New Balance, um, all of, you know, Asics. And wow. um, that was really the precipice of us just scaling incredibly quickly um, those first five years. So what, help me just understand a little bit of the business itself. Like what is the, what was the, uh, the, the offering, the offering that you, yeah. that you were presenting and, and how'd you get your foot in the door with somebody like Foot Locker? Yeah. So we started um, doing what we knew how to do, which was really producing other um, agencies creative. And so they, they would have a concept, a campaign, and then we would bring it to life um, in physical manifestations of like lease lines in stores or point of sale signage, things like that. But really quickly, um, really quickly, we understood that we had intimate knowledge of these stores and what their initiatives were, what their business objectives were. And so really quickly added creative services in-house. And so we grew our own creative department, essentially um, becoming the agency that these brands were working directly with. So then we would start with, um, you know, the concepting for campaign and then rolling that out across 2,500 doors, um, you know, in different tiers of their owned brands, their wholesale doors, their boutique doors, and then also rolling it out across events and activations in North America. So, um, like, for example, when Adidas came out with their largest North America drop of the EQT shoe, um, they had 750,000 SKUs to sell. Um, we came up with a concept of essentialism and then rolled that out across every door um, that they were in, both their own stores, their wholesale stores, like the Foot Lockers, the Dick's Sporting Goods, all that. Um, down to the boutique sneaker um, stores like Kith. And then, um, and then also did a 
probably 15 activations across North America in their key markets. So parties where like Pusha T was showing up and um, as an ambassador and influencer for them. So wow. kind of the gamut then. So yeah, and we also build brands. So we'll do brand identities or refreshes for brands like Camp Chef. We recently refreshed their brand um, to become more lifestyle, then help them position and market, and then all the extensions that need to come to life um, mm. for them to reach their consumer. Man, you mentioned 750,000 SKUs, and then the campaign is essentialism. Those sound like opposites. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> essentialism at volume. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it was cool. It was like deconstructing the shoe and showing, um, you know, what went, what went into the technology of, of cool. the shoe. Yeah. Cool. How did you, how did you get that first client, Foot Locker? Um, so we had known someone that was um, that was in the C, like essentially CMO, and we we just asked him. We were like, "Hey, um, we had I think we had done like um, a small job for him years ago with another um, business that Jeremy had worked for, but had kept in touch and just said, "Hey, can you know this is our new business model? This is what we're doing." And and really from the beginning, we were really leading with heart and we learned really quickly that no one's going to understand your heart um, in the same way uh, or to say it better I guess you need to solve their problems before you earn the privilege of talking about your heart and like what you want to do through your business right so yeah. so here we learned really quickly we need to serve you and show that we can provide value and do it better than anyone else can and so we just said to him like here's our offering here's what we can do you know us you know that we're never going to overpromise and underdeliver. We'll run through walls. He gave us this small project, and um, his team loved working with us. And and so we just continued to like literally earn little project by little project, and then all of a sudden it was huge projects and um, you know a huge scale. And luckily we were able to scale really quickly because there were really talented people in our industry who were getting burned out in their career because they're like we're doing all these sexy campaigns. They end up in recycling bins or, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, they're selling product, but like, where's the meaning behind it? What I'm, when I look at my legacy, like, what is my legacy and, and how is it affecting the world beyond a campaign? And so these incredibly talented people were looking for a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose. And when they heard about Latitude, they were like, that, that is that is what I want to do. Mm. And so like, that's why our executive creative director came on and he's been with us for over a decade, right? Um, and it's it's really cool when you know that the impact of what you're doing is literally, you know, getting kids an education or saving people from sex trafficking in India or providing a micro loan for a woman in Colombia so she can expand a bakery and employ her family and send her kids to school. Yeah. Um, and those were things that we, from the beginning, we knew we needed to make really tangible to both our clients and our employees in order to to show people the difference that they were making, like they deserve to know the difference that they're making. And so we worked with our nonprofits really closely to like, how can you make, we're not just gonna write a check, like what's an initiative you need to happen? How can we partner on it? How can we set goals around it? And then how can we communicate back the impact? And then how can we travel with you to like see firsthand how that's going and how mm. it's affecting the communities? Cause you feel it really differently when you're in the field than, than just on like an impact report. And and um, so once a year, 
our staff would get the opportunity to travel with our nonprofit partners. And Jeremy and I would always travel with any of our partners that we were deciding to invest in to make sure that their approach was truly like empowering and you know creating sustainability and and was really like working from a place of utilizing that community's giftedness and not mm. just focusing on like the need but hey what are your assets what are your gifts every community and every person has gifts and and assets right so how do we use those so that you're not dependent on us that we're tapping into your gifts yeah. and then you can be you can be taking care of yourself soon right yeah I love that. You know, what I'm curious about, and I'll preface it with this short story, but I, I'm, I had a chance to spend some time with uh, Scott Harrison. Who's, oh, I love him. Oh, cool. Love yeah, him. he was fantastic. Uh, got to hang out with him for a little while and then had him on my podcast uh, years ago. And it was just, it was interesting hearing the journey between the idea and then figuring out how that idea can work that like mm -hmm. the idea was clear to him. Like I want a charity to be different. I want it to operate like this and have these clear distinctions between the money here and the money people are giving going to this. But then the actual like building of it, there were some real hard moments of like, how does this work? How do I actually pull this off? Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious for you, you have the idea, like we want to be an agency. We want to do this great work mm -hmm. and we want to have this arm of it or, you know, give like what were the challenges and actually figuring out how, how, how's this going to really work? Yeah. Oh, so many. First of all, Scott Harrison is is um, one of our greatest inspirations, Jeremy and mine. And we were just texting him the other day because um, we were just saying to him, like, hey, I hope you know, like, what a difference you've made. Because he really inspired us at Latitude. And he was continually that person that we're just looking to, to, like, when we we're struggling to show up, it was like, okay, double down. And, like, Scott's doing it and he's doing it right. And um, he's just an amazing human, and um, I think that he disrupted a space in like the nonprofit sure. world that needed it so much. And I, I just have so much respect for him and gratitude. Um, but to your point, um, you know, it's funny. A lot of people look back and they're like, "Hey, you had this like this trip and this vision, and 21 days later, you're quitting your job and like starting this. Like, how in the world did you plan it out in those 21 days?" And my answer is like we didn't really like we in my mind and in, in the way Jeremy and I work is like we have a vision and then we think through some of the next steps but it didn't work for us to plan it out for 10 years or come up with a business plan or even like a financial model with because there are so many unknowns right so instead of spending the time in all of these like speculative things what was really freeing for us was coming up with a worst case scenario so when he mm. came you know when we came home and said okay, I think we're going to start this business with 50% model. We had just bought our condo on the Upper West Side of New York, put every penny we had into it in September 2008. <laughs> in September 2000, or October 2008, the market crashed. This is, now we're talking November 2009. Our condo was worth hundreds of thousands less than it ever should have been, right? Yeah. And so we're sitting in this dilemma, like everything we have is in this place, which was tiny and you know like it's just New York right and um, we want to start this business and we know that we're not going to make any money right away like any business needs to have some air and you, you got to be able to take some risks so we had to figure out what our worst case scenario was and for us our worst case scenario was like putting our house on the market and it might not sell and we might need to foreclose 
But I had called my parents and I had said, hey, remember these cute two grandkids that you have? How would you feel about having them closer to you? And she was like, oh, we would love that. And we, we miss them. We only get to, you know, they come out to New York several times a year, but we love having you guys closer. And I was like, how about in your basement? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, so I kind of told them the idea. Um, and they were so gracious. They're like, we know anything you put your mind to, like, is going to be successful eventually. And we would love to have you in your basement. Your kids aren't going to go hungry. Like, mm. it sounds silly, but literally just having that free us up, like, hey, we might have to foreclose. And it's okay. And our kids are going to be taken care of. And, like, we're going to be all right. We have a retirement we can pull some money out of to, like, eat, right? Um, but then, so that freed us up to say, okay, we're going to start this. We're, we don't need to take on any debt. We're just going to do a project, deliver the project, get paid for the project, you know. And we don't need to, like, take on debt to do this. We don't need an inventory except for people. And, like, we're willing to work for free for a while and whatever. Yeah. So, um so that was like, it, it was like a leap of faith in that we didn't know how it was going to go exactly, um, but you kind of just need to put one foot in front of the other. And then, um, you know, then there were, there were times where there were moments like, hey, we haven't made any money. I think collectively the first year Jeremy and I together made $30,000, but we felt like we should give money away. And we had two co-founders that had started with us. And like I said, like none of us had really made any money. But we had this first check come in from Foot Locker. And it was like, I think, 50000 And I had to call. I just had this feeling. I, was, I remember doing laundry. And I was like, I just, I just know we're supposed to give money away, even though we really should be paying ourselves and our co-founders. But I just feel like we're supposed to. We had given some money away already. But like, I just felt like we were supposed to give a big check away, even though it didn't really make sense to do that. And so the hardest part of that was like calling them and saying, hey, guys, like this, you know, Haiti's really looking for this project to happen. Like, how would you guys feel about investing in that instead of giving ourselves what we totally deserve, you know, especially you guys? And, um, and like all four of us totally decided we're like, nope, this is why we're doing it. Like, let's Let's double down. Let's give, even wow. if it's hard to give. And um, and then right after that, like, the floodgates opened of the client work. And um, so for me, it's it's been um, a kind of unconventional, like, walk of faith. But every time we've just stepped out there, it's, like, it's worked, you know. And um, and then there's there's really challenging times, like COVID, like... <laughs> Um, COVID like gutted our business. We were re retail events and activations, all of which went away overnight. 90% mm -hmm. um, of our revenue and forecasted revenue went away within five days. And um, I don't know if you want to go there, but like, Let's you know. Let's go. How did we survive that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so we were in the, the wrong space at the wrong time, right? And uh, it, and it was it was really scary. We um, we were d working on TwitchCon Amsterdam, and so we it hit it hit our radar about a week before it hit North America radar. Like so, you know, the March twelfth or whatever that Friday, everything kind of shut down here. It was a week prior that everything canceled that we were working on in Europe. So we knew like this is this is not good. 
And so then over the next week, like all of our North America stuff canceled as well. And so that Friday, we, uh, Jeremy and I had to sit at our kitchen table and like post-it notes, or, you know, the big ones, like all over our dining room and, and sketching out the financial forecast. Like, okay, here's what we've got. Here's how much, you know, here's how many people we have on payroll. Here's all the revenue that's gone away. Like, here's the cash that we have that we can, you know, like how much can we blow through? And like, we had to come up with a list of like, when your inventory is your people, like, it, you don't have a lot of room for error and that you burn through that cash really, really quickly. And so that weekend we uh, had to come up with a list of people that we had to lay off. And um, it was horrible. And the people at Latitude are like family, like they are running through walls every day um, for this collective mission and you just feel like such a liability to them. And you know, you, you always felt so good about what you're collectively doing together and then all of a sudden you're like having to pull the rug out from under them. And, um, but you know if you, if you don't make a move quickly, you're, you're not gonna have enough reserve to survive. And, and like luckily we knew that and, um, and luckily we did react quickly because nothing changed quickly. <laughs> like right. it, it didn't go away after a couple weeks, right? Like, right. And um, so after that round of layoffs, um, we tried to find a new normal and then we had another round of layoffs in that July. Um, and then we had to really decide like, what are we gonna do? And we decided um, that we wanted to continue operating Latitude, that we needed to shift um, and really bolster our offering that was outside of events and activations and retail, which we did have an offering and we'd always had other clients that were um, you know, more brand driven or more digital campaign driven, but it, it just wasn't the bulk of our relationships or our revenue. And so, um, we hired someone who understood that offering um, really, really well, and he he came on, and we just started to rebuild. It really started. It felt like a startup again. Um, and I don't know if any of the like listeners can relate, but um, when there's such a va like a, such a hard left, um, and there's you know kind of trauma with that, right? You've like had to disrupt people's lives that you really care about and um it was almost like I had to kind of shut off like what we were doing before and literally just like start over mm. so like two years into that starting over there were times when it was like oh you know an HR process or this or that and the team would be like oh we should really develop that and I was like oh I I totally had that developed like I have that i did that we we did that for 10 years like I just <laughs> forgot you know so let me dig that out of the archives but it's almost like this just moment of like turn back on a light switch and like start over and then you, you have these weird like out-of-body moments where you're like oh but actually I do know how to do that because we did it for eight years you know wow I don't know it's, it's strange but wow so what what would you say what would you say you learned about leading leading in general, but leading a business in a time of crisis? Um, first of all, I think the biggest, um, the biggest initial learning was a really humbling one. Um, I'd always talked throughout our business like, hey, um, you know, I really believe our business is, is something that has been a gift from God and that we're stewarding and that, you know, it's, it's a calling for us. Like, hey, 
And so I've always felt like a deep responsibility to to ha to like hold it with hands wide open, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not mine. And the success that we're experiencing is not because I'm so great. It's because of like a collective um, caring of these amazing employees that we have and like all, you know, all that's happening. The clients are giving us opportunities and like it's this collective goodness that we all get to be a part of and it's not about me. And I, I really thought I believed that. And then the floor fell out and I blamed myself so, so, so much. And I took it so, so personally. I realized that like my whole identity was in my ability to provide jobs, to provide, yeah. um, to provide for these nonprofits, like to provide for everybody, to be generous. Like that was my whole identity was like my ability to, to provide and to like have output. So like I had made it about me, even though I totally thought I didn't. And I didn't think I was taking pride in the good. If I'm blaming myself for all the bad, I clearly was taking pride in the good, right? Mm -hmm. So that was super convicting to me. I was like, okay, first of all, I need a little, a little double check on my own ego and identity and like all the stripping away that that did helped me like discover who I am outside of my output and that there's value outside of my output. And that's I think cool. that's important for, for those of us who are growing things, you know, starting things, growing things, maintaining things. Like, we have to have value outside of that because if our value is only on the amount of jobs or the P&L, like, we're going to get rocked mm. at some point or other, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then what I've learned about leadership is um, for a while... I thought, well, maybe I just don't lead with as much heart because this really hurt a lot. And like, maybe I just keep it more transactional. Maybe I just was too emotionally involved. And, um, and I was wrong. Like, if you don't lead it with heart, um, it's not going to benefit from your heart. And like, our hearts are, I think, the most special thing we bring to the table, um, at least for latitude it is. And so me leading... Um, and thinking my heart is a liability was the wrong move. Mm. And so, um, when did you realize that? Oh gosh! Like how long did you, how long do you think you went unknowingly, kind of protecting your heart, as a response to that pain before you recognized what was going on? Um, all honestly, uh, probably until midway this year, like, yeah. like really recently, like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, yeah, I, um, uh, yeah, I had a lot of healing to do. Um, which we don't think about. We don't, we don't think about it that way. And, and it sounds like, even as I say it, it sounds so selfish to say it. Like to me, no. it just sounds like, um, it's, it sounds wrong of me to say that. But why? Like, why does that feel wrong to me? I don't know. Like, yeah. we're all human. I I know that our team is human. Our clients are human. Why would I expect anything different? And yet, um, I think I just thought it would it'd be easier. And I, and I just thought I I just thought my own like feelings and emotions were a liability. And I just wanted to like, I thought someone else could do it better. I thought someone else could lead it better. I tried to kind of hand over the reins to several different people and it just didn't happen. And it's when I showed back up about six months ago, like with my heart, with all in, like, 
and knowing like, hey, if, so I can't lead it without heart. And so I'm going to lead it with heart. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And actually the opposite has happened and Hmm. life has been breathed into our company and the connections are happening and the momentum is so good. And so I think like, I think heart is everything. And I think like people will run through walls, um, for something that's greater than just a PL. Mm. Um, so I think as leaders, like our when we're transparent, when we when we're emotional, everyone's emotional. Like when right. we when we share our heart and our hopes and our dreams and our fears and like are transparent about that and um share where we're struggling and where we need them to show up because of that, um we're giving them the chance to like allow us to be part of the team, not just this like navigator, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. When you hear somebody say, Hey, it's just business. It's not personal. It's like, you're lying. You, you don't, you maybe not know you're lying, but like, it's not, you, it, it, it can't be, and you don't want it to be. Now we can over-personalize it. Like you talked yeah. about, like take on too much, identify with it too much. But like, I had a very similar experience. So I want to hopefully encourage you in this, like, I had a similar experience years and years ago. Heart just got decimated by something that I even judged myself. Like, shouldn't feel this, shouldn't feel this way. And I unknowingly went a few years with exactly like you talked about, like kind of operating on autopilot with my brain fully engaged, but my heart protected. Mm -hmm. And what I realized, I had somebody that I was leading wake me up to it because they very delicately said, um, they brought it up and I was like, why are we bringing this up? And they're like, just, I'm sorry that happened. I was like, Oh, thank you. Mm. And they go, well, I'm, I'm actually kind of selfishly sorry for myself. I was like, why do you say that? And they're like, I wish I would have gotten to be led by you then. I was like, Whoa, what do you mean? And he's like, you gave like your whole heart to those people. And I don't feel like we get your whole heart. And I was like, Oh, it's making me tear up right now. And then, so once I saw that, I realized the same was true in every area of my life. Like we, it's hard to be discriminate with what you wall up and what you don't. Right. And so I realized I had walled my heart off in general and was not letting my wife in, was not letting my kids Mm -hmm. in, was like in very subtle ways. Like, you Mm know, maybe I experienced it more either way. Um, yeah. But that was the first time I was like, oh, I'm I'm waking up to what I've done. And then someone helped me when I was like, why did I do this? And I got like really mad at myself. Like, why did Mm -hmm. I do this? And they were like, you know, your brain and your body do this really cool thing when you're injured, which is put Mm -hmm. you in a state of shock. And shock allows Mm -hmm. you to be logical during pain. And I remembered I had a like a pretty bad injury when I was a kid. And I was by myself at home, like my mom had just left and I fell and broke my arm, like in a big U shape, like a big break. And I didn't, you know, the crazy part was I didn't feel any pain from the moment it happened until I got help. So like I, I was able to think and I was able to look around and find which neighbors were home, went over to the neighbor's house, knocked on the door calmly, waited for her to answer the door, showed her my wrist. She sat me down. She called my mom. I sat there. They're like, do you need anything? I was like, no, I'm okay. I mean, I was in discomfort, 
but I was not in nearly the pain I should have been in. You know, it's crazy though. As soon as my mom got there and mm. put me in the car and buckled me in, all the pain came back. Uh-huh. And the reason was I felt safe. Because she was there. You were safe. Yeah. And as uh-huh. soon as my body and brain recognized you're safe, it let me feel the pain uh, because I had gotten to safety, right? And yeah. so I realized over those two years that for whatever reason, I was still somewhat in shock. Like I hadn't felt safe enough to process that and feel that and let it back in. And so for you, I hope you feel the same way. It's like, hey, the whole world was kind of traumatized in its own way. Mm-hmm. And you still had to lead the ship and you still had to make decisions. You still had to do bedtime routine and you still had to get new clients. And it's no wonder why you probably went a little numb or took your heart out of it for a little bit. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah, that really resonates. Thanks for sharing that. That So it's kind of a cool sign that like some part of you is feeling safe. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and hopeful again, right? Hopeful, yes. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Oh, was man, it scary? Was it scary when you when you first started kind of reentering your 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 business life, putting your heart yeah. back out there? Totally. Yep. Totally. And I'd have moments where I would like pull back, right? Sure. Like, oh, too much. Or, um, but then you see, you start to see the results of that, and like, life is richer when when our heart's involved, right? When it's yeah. not transactional. And so you see you see that, um, the fruit of it. And so then you start to realize, oh, okay, that's right. Okay, like, yeah. And it's just not worth showing up any other way, right? So yeah, yeah it's scary and it's weird and it's like a rewiring, um, but it's so life-giving, right? Yeah, it like opens up, it opens up the full spectrum of emotions. Totally. It's like all of a sudden on full color, full, yes. full scent, full, full sound. You can hear the birds trip, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, you get out of like the cooler and you're like, oh, there's like air and breeze and noise and color. Yeah. And yeah, you live kind of in this numb, neutral gray, like this very narrowed. OK, not OK. Like, but you're like, dude, you know what? If I got to cry that and that means I get joy back. Like if I got to be willing to face grief and, but I get the high again of joy and gratitude and hope and whatever, like then give me the full spectrum. Like yeah, totally. I'd much rather live with the full spectrum, even though it brings pain, than live safe and sheltered and not experience any joy or any hope or passion or any of that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? So true. Absolutely. Yeah, totally, man. But it sucks. It sucks, man. <laughs> like it sucks when you have to fire somebody. It sucks when you put your heart out there and it's rejected or you do your best for a client and they dump you or yeah. misunderstand you or whatever. It's like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things about being a leader is like, um, being misunderstood. Like you yes. can't always tell the reasons why you're doing things. Most of the time, like the biggest decisions that people are going to have an opinion on, you can't, tell them every reason why because out of respect for somebody or something or confidentiality or or they just can't you know know what you know um but everyone's got an opinion right yeah. and that is it is really hard it's hard to to lead when people don't give you the benefit of the doubt or don't understand um why you're doing things and have a judgment on that right because i you know i just i just always want people to know like my heart behind things and 
And so when there's trust and, and people give you the benefit of the doubt, it's a lot easier to lead. And when, when all crap hits the fan, like during COVID, um, you know, there's just a lot of decisions that need to be made and, and they affect people really um, intensely. And, and um, there isn't always a win-win, you know? That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, yeah. that's been the sneakiest part about being a leader is that you don't imagine being in lose-lose scenarios where you're yeah. like, you don't understand. There's not a win-lose. Like, I'm picking between the less sucky options right now. Yeah. And yeah. that's what yeah. it is. The lunch buffet, it's all four weeks old. It's all got <laughs> some mold on it. And, like, you just have to choose what you're going to swallow. Like, <laughs> like, it just, there's no good options, right? Yes. It's like, uh So now, now having survived and built almost, again, um, do you feel like you've built something new? Does it feel like just building the same thing over again? Or like, wow, we actually stumbled yeah. upon some fun innovations and like a different... Yeah, yeah it's a great question. Um, so there's been some really fun innovations. So we have this huge space in the North Loop of Minneapolis that um, when we were 110 people, we had like full to the brim. Um, and we had this space as part of it that was like an event space, a full bar, like sports simulators, cool lounges and stuff. And we'd use it for all staff parties and meetings and companies stuff and then let nonprofits have parties in there to raise money and such. And then this huge, huge workspace as well. And um, when everything shut down in COVID and we had to lay off, we're like, gosh, what are, well, first of all, what are our assets? Because we don't have profits right now to give away. Like, how do we innovate around what our assets are so that we can continue to be like a benefit to the community? And one of those assets was space. And like, how do we use this beautiful space that we own? And how do we turn it into an asset instead of a liability? And so we opened up um, a co-working club recently. Like, so we have cool. a private membership and co-working space. And we have about 150 members who have signed on to do their day-to-day -day work here. Um, to play here, um, to have events here. And so that's been one of the innovations that we've done is opening up this North House Minneapolis. Um, but in, in regards to our agency specifically, um, we really did have to like restart. And so the, the majority of our client roster is totally different than it mm. was pre-COVID. Different and industry? We, um, not necessarily. Like we still do a lot of consumer brands. Um, okay. But we're helping them with um, campaigns, a lot of digital work. We're um, helping a lot of like startups with their branding, their brand positioning. And then we've done a ton of websites in the last year, a lot of um, marketing plans, like digital marketing plans, um, all their comms. And then some of our like previous clients have come back um, sure. fairly recently. We, we continue to do work with Adidas throughout um, just a little bit where we used to do a huge volume for them, but they've recently come back too. And we've had a lot of fun embracing that work and doing it from a different point of view, like not taking anything for granted, like making sure that we're thinking about it differently than we did um, and make sure that we're serving them with like tremendous, tremendous value, making sure that they're getting as much out of us as possible. And some of that's had to be innovation in our workflow like how are we going about it how are we concepting really quickly how are we getting reactions to that so we're not spending time 
developing things that they're not interested so that they can get as much value as they can out of execution, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot of innovation in, in how we're doing our work. Um, and then making sure that we're continuing to innovate as the world has just changed, like consumer behaviors have changed, what, how people want things have changed, how people are shopping have changed, right? Yeah. And so making sure that we're staying ahead of those consumer trends, it's, they're changing more quickly than they ever have. Um, so that's a fun challenge too. And then most of our, a, a lot of our team is different than it was, you know, pre-COVID. And so getting to collaborate with these new brilliant minds has brought innovation to the table in a really organic way. Like, hey, here's how we could do it. Or, um, you know, this is what's worked for me. And it's so fun to get those different points of view and like shift, shift the how that you're doing things and seeing the fruit of that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't. I would say it's not just like um, recreating, but it is. It is catching that fire that we felt for so long, and feeling that fire in our bellies every day. Like that fire is the same. I love that. Yeah, it, I think if you stay in business long enough, you will have several meaningful pivots. If, yeah. If 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 you allow yourself to do it now, often unless it's a product, like products sometimes will do significant pivots if. But service businesses like ours and things like that, you're usually still doubling down on your skill set. And but it might be to a different industry. It might be to a different size company. It might be in light of new technology that's now available. I mean, we experienced this like COVID, COVID when it hit up my business, we lost the biggest companies we had and we lost the smallest companies we had. Oh, wow. So like the Fortune 500 companies yep. and the startup companies that are obviously really delicate on cash right yep. and so we were like well i guess we're focusing on fast-growing companies around 50 to 100 100 people and so we had yeah. to learn that then we start getting a lot of those and there are a lot in tech because think about what's what is still growing during covid mm -hmm. often it was mm -hmm. tech software things like that that were still being sold and companies b2b mm -hmm. still needed them well then this year it the beginning of the year, we lost another huge chunk of business when the Silicon Valley bank oh. collapsed oh, and God. all the tech companies were like, we're out of money. Like oh. we're going under. And so we were like, well, guess we're oh. not doing tech companies anymore. But then another opportunity came along and we, but so I've noticed like, Hey, if you don't panic and you look around and for me, I'm probably similar to you, have faith. I'm like, mm -hmm. there'll be somewhere else your skills are needed, somewhere else that you can serve, and we can't get, just get locked in. Well, we've always done it this way, and we've always done it for this type of consumer. Does that make sense? Oh, my gosh, totally. Like, the minute you feel like you've arrived or you can be, like, rinse and repeat, you're, you're dead. Like, yes. <laughs> because you're the world behind, just, at least. Totally, right? Like, the world just isn't like that. Like, the world is evolving so quickly that if we're not thinking about how are we evolving, we're going to be obsolete. Like we're just not going to be offering the value that we did yesterday. If we're yeah. not thinking about how to change the value tomorrow. Right. What are some of the things that you all do either like strategically, this is like something we, we know we're doing and, or it's just kind of caught by the culture that you have. What are some of the things that you all are doing to stay flexible, to stay learning and, and, and growing? Yeah. Um, so I think the thing that helps us the most on that is really candid conversations with our clients and like really understanding what are their challenges, um, 
have, making sure that each client that we have has really got an executive owner on our team that's like having those conversations that don't have like a specific project or outcome to them, but like, hey, what what are you what are you sensing? What are you struggling with? What do you see on the horizon? Um, you know, what's important in your career development so that we can like help understand how we can help get them there, right? Like how do we make them the hero and help get them there? Yeah. Um, but but really like those um those insights that they share that are really outside of anything that we would get in like a project briefing or or even like a strategic comms meeting or something like those insights help us to understand how to how to serve them well um and then other things like for us one of the biggest needs for our clients this year was um this support internally as like an extension of their team. Like some of the big businesses that we've been working with have really struggled with a ton of turnover or they've had to have a ton of layoffs, right? And so they have like these teams that are either working far wider than they should, yeah, you know. Two or, people on their marketing team trying to do yeah. everything for a $20 million business, you know? Totally. And so yeah. these people are stretched so thin. And then, um, you know, the structure might be unclear or the structure just changed tremendously and so one thing that we're finding our clients really need is for us to like strategically navigate for them and like act as almost like their marketing department and then be like hand in hand with whoever's leading the charge um, but then just be there like from like a servant lead like servant leadership capacity like hey help me help you yeah. and not have like preconceived notions of like well, how do they fit into our typical workflow? No, not how do they fit into our workflow. Like, how do we create a workflow that's working for them? And so, like, really having to, like, let go of any preconceived notions of, like, well, this is how we've done it, or this is what works, or this is how we've built, like, estimates or fee builders, or here's how an SOW should look. Like, how do we just throw that kind of to the wind for these situations where they need to show us, like, have us show up really differently? Yeah. Um, you know, and then, but it's, it's like, it's ambiguous. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. makes some people really uncomfortable. Um, but that's just who we are at heart is like, we're like, Hey, latitude is like always in ambiguity. Like that's just the space we live in. So if you're not comfortable, you don't want to be on this team, but <laughs> the beauty of us like operating like that allows us to come alongside our, um, our clients in a different way, you yeah. know? I had somebody work for me one time that that was the exact same thing I told them was like, Hey, I don't think the thing that seems to bother you a lot is that we're often changing, you know, direction in some areas or our offering or whatever. And I just need you to know that's not going to change. Probably. <coughs> oh, bless. Sorry. Bless <laughs> you. <laughs> that's probably not going to change in the near term and it might not change ever. Right. And so your personality might, just not like that. And I want to just encourage you to go find a different culture, you know, totally, which makes me, this is the question I wanted to ask you. I'm excited about this. Uh, you're such a nice person yet. You're also, oh my. you're also a business person. So I'm going to ask you this question. What do you do with clients that are just not fun to work with? Because oh, every service yeah. best business can have that where you're like, it's a big account, but they have been a nightmare to work with they hate mm -hmm. everything or they expect too much or they're whatever. Like how have y'all grown as a company and knowing what to do with that type of customer? Oh yeah. We've, we've let customers go. Like 
we've been like, hey, thank you for this opportunity to collaborate, and it's just not a great fit, right? Mm. And then there's just been some customers who, there was one client who, who literally like told me, you can talk when I tell you you can talk. Whoa. And I was like, so this isn't going to work. <laughs> like, I mean, he, he was like arguing over things our clients are, we had like over delivered for him. He didn't want to pay for it. Right. But he just had a very different view of like human connectedness and conversations and like speaking to women. And I was like, so this is never going to happen anymore. <laughs> so your invoice is still your invoice and I wish you well. And I feel bad for the women on your team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's like, it's not worth working for people who, um, are either in a place where they can't collaborate well, you know, for their own personal reasons or because they have a different view on the world. Um, but if there's just some situations where you know it's not going to be a win-win. Yeah. Like your team is going to continually feel beaten up and um, and you're going to lose good people over it. If you want to keep that client, you're going to lose your like great people. Yeah. And so it's it's worth taking a bet on your employees every time. Like uh, well, on I your love own that. Team. So like... Lesson number one is if it's a clear breakup, break up, you know, like if it's just not going to work, have the guts and figure out the nicest or the most smooth way, maybe like to offer. Don't burn a bridge. Don't yeah. burn a bridge. Yeah. And then, but number two, I'm curious about this as well, as I found some annoying clients often revealed where we could do better in uh, maybe communication or. Oh. Like almost like teaching, like here's how you're going to get the best from us. Or like, have y'all figured some of yeah, that out? Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, for sure. Sometimes we'll have a workshop and just like charting that out. Here, we're kind of, we're struggling to get the best out of each other. Like, let's talk about what are the communication patterns? How do you want us to reach out to you? How do you want us to talk? Like, where are we experiencing friction in the relationship? That's it, how friction. How can we both yes. show up differently, right? Like what would help um, us to, what would help you feel more confident um, about our engaging, like, you know, maybe they're micromanaging or something. Well, that's probably a sign that they don't trust us or yes. that they're not confident in our output. How can we get you confident in that? What would provide you, um, you know, that peace of mind? Is it, you know, written? Is it, is it a form of written communication you need to get regularly? Is it, do we need to verbally communicate different? Do you want us to text message you? You know, like just simple things like that, that, yeah, definitely, like, there's usually a root cause for that friction. And mm. typically when it's not like a major like character flaw where right. someone's getting beaten up, like, and it's just friction, that's usually navigatable, right? Like you can usually find the root cause of it and then work to address it. And, you know, change management isn't always easy, but you start to put the pieces in place and people experience a lack of friction and they're like, hey, this is great. And then it, it reinforces the right behaviors. And I'm assuming you've seen what I have, which is that being addressed sooner rather than later can often make or break whether it worked out well or not. Like most of the time we're just afraid. Like we're afraid to ask the question, how are you feeling about our work or whatever? And then we wait almost till it's too late to do anything about it instead of early and often asking what would increase your confidence? You know, how would totally. you, that, have you seen that? Yeah. And asking, um, having a regular cadence of asking like where could we where could we do better right like hey i understand you loved this creative like is there anything in our workflow or our communication process that 
we could do differently to serve you better, mm. right? Like asking, because um, people love to give the good feedback, but it's, it's really hard to give critical feedback. And so you have to like invite it. You have to like intentionally invite it. And, um, and then you have to react to it really positively. Or they will never share with you again what you could do. You know, if you're like, please tell us what we could do better. And then they're like, well, this could really work better. And then you're like, well, no, there's a reason that we do that. Or defend, like if you defend it, they're never going to be transparent with you again, right? Yes. So it's like inviting it and thanking them for it and then doing something about it so that they realize, okay, they actually care and they actually listened and they actually implemented something because of it, right? But yeah, people hate having hard conversations. Um, one of our values here is open and honest. And um, at our company meetings, we shout out like who has been open and honest and the biggest the biggest shout outs that I celebrate are the times when people have like, like disagreed with me or told me something doesn't feel right or this, you know, I like celebrate those because I'm like, thank you. Thank you for challenging me. Thank you for being open and honest in a position that is like vulnerable for you. Right. Yeah. Like that is brave. That's awesome. And I, I'm going to be better because of it. Like the kindest thing you can do is give me honest feedback. Mm. If you care about someone, like the kindest thing you can do is give them honest feedback. The easy thing to do is just to like not say anything and let them continue to blunder where they're blundering. Yes. But that's not a loving thing to do, right? Yes. Kind is clear because yes. the result's going to be the result either way and we're either going to get judged or you're going to get judged for it. But if yeah. it's unclear, then it's an unfair judgment because it's like, I didn't actually tell you our expectations, or I didn't tell you totally. this wasn't what we wanted. And so it was unkind for me not to be clear with you, right? Totally. Yeah. Now, all Absolutely. Right, last question for you. What's got you most excited about the future of Latitude right now? Oh, my goodness. So much. Um, so we just have, we have a lot in the pipeline right now, like just a lot of opportunity of, um, with, just amazing brands with really good people that are so fun to work with. Um, and our team is like responding to these opportunities amazingly. Like they're just delivering this work that I'm so proud of. They always have, but um, even just the volume that we're dealing with right now, and they just continue to show up with excitement and positivity and this brilliance that I'm like, God, you guys are amazing. Cool. Um, so I, I love our team and I'm super excited to add to it as we add opportunities because I know that um, there's so many talented people out there, right? And so it'll, it'll be fun to add some staff um, to, to embrace those opportunities. I'm really excited to get back to profitability so that we can get back to, you know, we've continued to be generous and we passed our 8 million mark this year, but um, I'm just excited to get back to a place where we can um, be generous at the volumes that we are being generous, right? Like yeah. be able to impact the world in the ways that we have in the past and um, to get our team back into the field, to get them to experience, um, you know, humanity across the globe and, and see, um, you know, meet people in different, you know, different circumstances. We learn so much from each other, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited at where we're at because I feel like we have this um, humility and ability to come alongside our clients. And I know that the clients who trust us with things, we're going to over deliver. And that's just such a good place to be. Like, I'm so proud of our team and our offering. And um, yeah, to be getting opportunities with good people and amazing brands is, nothing better. I'm very grateful. Yeah. Nothing yeah. better. Okay. No, I, I said it was your last question, but I actually have one more <laughs> follow-up. I love... I love when somebody gives me a book recommendation because there's a thousand 
million mm-hmm. books out there. And same thing with a Netflix show. And so if someone is listening to this that wants to give, that's like, man, I've been looking for, you know, a nonprofit or something, but there's so many out there and I don't know which ones are good ones and which ones are just taking people's money. Um, yeah. Are there a few off the top of your head that oh, you yes. could say, hey, go check these these people out. They're worth your your investment. Yeah, so I have three recommendations that are amazing. Um, The first one, International Justice Mission. They are fighting human trafficking, um, sex slavery, bonded slavery in, I think, 28 countries. They are amazing, and they come along the, um, they come alongside the local um, justice departments. So they they are a model that they build it so that they can go away, and it is incredible. Yeah. Um, Hope International does microfinance in um, a variety of countries as well. And some of the loans are $65 or $165. And it's just, as an entrepreneur, I love, I, I love the power of business. And so these small loans are repaid, so they're recyclable. So you end up, you know, $165 gets loaned out 10 times, wow. right? And you're empowering these people to care for their families, their communities, and really changing changing trajectories. And Hope does it so, so well. Um, and then Healing Haiti is still in um, showing up every day in, in um, a, a country that continues to get the hits. And they're, um, most of the nonprofits in that country have pulled out. They have not. And it's Haitian run. And it's um, they are just continuing to do the right thing each and every day, and they are truly, truly making a difference. So um, check out HealingHaiti.org as well. Those three are amazing organizations. Killer. Awesome. I'm going to yeah. check them out. I know our audience will as well. Krista, thank you so much. This has been so fun having you. You are uh-huh. a dynamic, joyful, loving person. I'm glad you are leading a business in our oh. world today. Oh, Drew, right back at you. I think I think we're meant to do dinner with our spouses next time I'm in Atlanta. Let's so. go. This is not the end of me. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much for having me. Yes. That would be awesome. Thank you, Krista. Thanks for this platform, Drew. You're the best. You're welcome. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.